I mean, my view is that the NHS demand is outstripping supply by significant factors. And my view is that the NHS is simply not sustainable going forward. You could, it's £159 billion from April this year that we're spending on the NHS in England. You could make that £259 billion. You could increase the workforce by 25%. If demand is outstripping supply by tenfold in ambulance calls, as it is right now, it will never be enough. Hello, and thank you for checking out this episode of the From the Frontline podcast. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a key voice from the NHS or social care to discuss some of the key challenges and changes that impact the treatment and care we all receive. Throughout this podcast series, we'll be answering some of the big questions which face health and social care today, such as why are there massive delays in A&E, how do we beat the NHS winter crisis, and how can we make the future of digital health accessible for all. We hope that you'll finish each episode knowing a little bit more about the major NHS headlines and what needs to change if we are to deliver the best possible care for everyone in the UK. The From the Frontline podcast is brought to you by Healthcoms Consulting, who are part of the PLMR group. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the From the Frontline podcast. We're delighted to be in Parliament today with uh, Chair of the Health and Social Care Select Committee, Steve Bryan. Steve, thanks so much for being re- with us. Really appreciate your time. Just wondered if we could start on uh, the Health and Social Care Select Committee and your role as chair. It'd be great to just get a little bit of a sense as to why you uh, sought the chair of the committee, um, what you hope to achieve in the role and what you hope the committee more broadly can achieve. But I suppose it'd be also be really interesting to get your take on the role that select committees play more broadly in terms of informing government policy. Thanks for having me. Well, I take the view select committees are the best kept secret in Westminster. You know, the the yarboo of the chamber, um, which the public say they hate, although the only time we can't get enough tickets is Wednesday lunchtime when it's Yarbu for PMQs. Um, the, the, the chamber is often quite theatre, especially on Wednesday lunchtimes. A lot of the rest of the time in the chamber, the debate is quite cerebral, it's sober, there's more quality than quantity in terms of the people that are in there. In select committees, that is the case 99.9% of the time. So they're cross-party committees. Um, they're where the sensible, calm, slightly more reflective thinking of Parliament goes on, where we have time to step back from the day-to-day. And yeah, we try to be relevant, but we also have time to step back from the day-to-day agenda. So I've been a minister, I've been a health minister, I've sat in front of the select committee answering questions, uh, and uh, now I'm asking them, and I can tell you the latter is a lot lot easier. Um, uh, but, you know, so I want, I think if you've been an immediate health minister, becoming a chair of a select committee, I think that's quite challenging because, you know, you are literally answering to decisions that you've just made. Um, I finished being a health minister in March 2019. So there's been some distance now between that. And Jeremy Hunt, my predecessor in the role, had been foreign secretary in between. So there's a bit of distance. You know, and I, I just I know a little bit about the subject. I care about the subject more than more than anything else. It's always been my priority NHS. That's how I've run my constituency. Um, and although I've done other things here in Parliament, it's the thing that I'm most interested in. And I thought it was a chance to to bring a bit of that knowledge um, and and ask the ministers difficult, sure, but I hope fair questions. And then I had to try and get elected to do it by the whole house, which fortunately I did. You mentioned your passion for the NHS and as a key agenda item for you, there's been 
an incredible amount of media coverage and political discussion around the current state of the NHS um, in recent weeks and months, thinking particularly around delays in ambulance care, in emergency departments and in discharge from hospitals. Um, Earlier this week, the Shadow Secretary of State said that the NHS is facing its biggest crisis in history. Just would love to get your thoughts, I suppose, on where we are currently at and the state of play in the NHS and any reflections on that statement from the Shadow Secretary of State. So he can choose his words. um, And I know why he uses the words he does. Um, I think you have to separate out the now from the systemic. The now is this. The NHS is under enormous pressure the greatest pressure since the last greatest crisis. Um, Why is that? There's 100 times more people in the acute setting with flu than there was this time last year. The twindemic of flu and COVID has come to pass, as we feared it might. Um, So there's a lot of people in the acute setting with upper respiratory illnesses, um, RSV, flu, COVID, other comorbidities who are getting flu, which I got flu before Christmas, I felt dreadful, but you know, touch wood, it didn't, luckily it didn't hospitalize me. Um, there are people who are, who are sicker than ever, and they're in the acute setting. That's putting enormous pressure on emergency departments because that's where they're presenting due to the challenges in primary care, so in general practice. And then when they're being admitted, um, if they're being admitted, there's a major challenge there because the back door of the NHS is not opening as it should because of the challenges into social care. So what the government announced on earlier this week was this extra money to buy the care home beds to try and release that patient flow through the acute sector out into social care. And the point that I was making to the to the sector of state is this is good. We asked for action. This is action. This is new money, or at least in part, but don't forget domiciliary care. People think that social care is old people in care homes. The reality is that two thirds of social care is domiciliary care, i.e. care delivered in people's own homes. And until that patient flow is working and social care is therefore operating as it should, you're going to find what is rather unkindly called bed blocking in the acute sector, which is stopping people being admitted, which means ambulances can't drop people off, which is why the whole system is grinding to a halt. That's the now issue. The wider systemic issue is to do with the backlog. It's yes to do with social care. It's to do with primary care. Is that currently still fit for purpose? And it's to do with the fact that, you know, we simply don't have a big enough NHS. We don't have enough people working in it. And um, there's a major, major national debate, which I'm determined to keep on about, which is how big do we want the NHS to be? How much money do we want to spend on it? And are we prepared to pay for it? And if so, how are we going to raise it? Because we saw under the previous prime minister what happens when you make unfunded spending commitments. I'm interested in uh, that particular point around uh, not just current capacity in the NHS, but what the future of the NHS looks like. And I think your point on what we see the future of the NHS looking like in terms of scale is key on that. Um, In that same uh, address to the House where you mentioned your point on domiciliary care, you also mentioned particular uh, personal emphasis, it sounded like, on the prevention agenda Mm. uh, and the need for prevention as a key way of securing the future of the NHS. Just wonder, is, is there a particular element of the prevention agenda that you're particularly passionate about that you think has real potential to unlock additional capacity in the NHS? 
I mean, I've been passionate about the prevention agenda for, forever. I mean, my view is that the NHS demand is outstripping supply by significant factors. My view is that the NHS is simply not sustainable going forward. You could, it's £159 billion from April this year that we're spending on the NHS in England. You could make that £259 billion. You could increase the workforce by 25%. If demand is outstripping supply by tenfold in ambulance calls, as it is right now, it will never be enough. Therefore, you have to somehow deal with the demand coming into the system. And that we are increasingly sick as a society. And what is driving that? Well, obesity is a huge driver of ill health. Obesity is a big cause of cancer. Smoking is still the biggest preventable cause of cancer, but obesity is a big driver of that. The NHS spends just over £10 billion a year on diabetes, while obesity is a big driver in type 2 diabetes. So, you know, that is one part of the prevention agenda. There are so many other parts to it. That's why the Select Committee very, very soon will be launching a major inquiry into prevention of ill health. And yes, it will be looking at what I consider to be the, the staples of the prevention agenda, which is around obesity, alcohol, smoking. But it'll also be looking much wider at air quality, at poor housing, which is a great determinant of ill health. It will be looking at vaccinations and the future of that. Um, and there are so many other issues around the prevention agenda that can help prevent ill health. If we had a proper salt reduction strategy, for instance, we would prevent huge numbers of strokes, which then make people very unwell and also impact on the acute sector. So prevention to me is the magic key to the sustainability of the NHS for its next 75 years. You mentioned um, very briefly there about the, the vast state budgets for the NHS and you mentioned there that there's a real potential that budget gets increased with a particular immediate crisis and there's an allocation of government funding in the short term, that that might not necessarily be sufficient to meet the rising demand that you've identified long term. But I also wonder, from your perspective, whether there's a danger that short term government cycles of funding in the event of a crisis can detract from longer-term funding for agenda items like prevention, like digital, I suppose. And I just wonder whether you had any thoughts on the kind of uh, on that short-term versus long-term funding dynamic, yeah. um, but also, I suppose, as well, on how the government ensures that the public gets good value for money on those different types of investment. One hundred and fifty percent. So we know that money spent upstream in prevention has a big return to the taxpayer. So if you think of the £250 million that's been announced this week to help unblock that patient flow through the NHS, um, if you spent £250 million on some of the prevention agendas that I've just talked about, it would majorly move, move the dial. The trouble is, is that they're slow burn. And the NHS is always dealing with today's crisis, today's problem. And, um, you know, I think that's why we hope to influence this agenda through the prevention inquiry, which is to say, you know, if we don't get upstream of cancers, it's no good just detecting cancers when symptoms appear, because although in, you know, prostate, breast, early detection is cancer's magic key, and you can then treat them 
very successfully with good outcomes. But actually, there are many other cancers, colon, pancreas, where ovarian, where symptoms are very hard to detect until they're at later stages. So if we get upstream of cancer as a cause of ill health, then we can prevent a lot of illness. And um, money spent on prevention really returns for the taxpayer. So I am very concerned in direct answer to your question that we are always just putting that extra bit of funding in to get over the next bump. And um, until we change that outlook, and social care being another very, very good example of that, until we change the outlook, we will be stuck in this cycle of chasing our tail of the next little bit of money, the next little bit of money. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm happy to work with politicians of any color across the house to talk, who are people who are genuinely prepared to talk about the now, but who are equally genuinely prepared to talk about systemic long term. And, you know, I talked to Wes Streeting, the Shadow Health Secretary, about that, and he's got himself in hot water with some of the trade unions for talking about the future of um, general practice and the future of um, fund holding in, in general practice um, and part the partnership model. But it's absolutely right that we do that because otherwise we're always going to be chasing our tail. It's been a fascinating conversation, Steve. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the From the Frontlines podcast. If you have any thoughts about our conversation, or would like to get involved in a future episode, please email from the frontline at healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. If you'd like to chat about our work as one of the UK's top health and social care public affairs agencies, please visit our website, healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. Thanks again for listening.